Good morning, everyone. My name is Stephanie Lather, and I'm part of a missional community family here at Kettlebrook. I also typically am serving in the nursery during this service, which is a much less intimidating gig than this one. Just FYI. Oh, I want to say thanks to Ryan and Carrie. We're continuing our a series called This Is Us, and they did a great job of queuing us up this morning. Uh, God is doing some amazing work in and through them in our city, so it's really cool to watch them. Now, if you were here last week, you know that Troy spoke to the husbands from the perspective of King Xerxes, who's a character in a book of the Bible called Esther. And this morning, I get to continue the conversation talking with wives in the room about marriage from Esther's perspective. So, ladies, you'll be glad to know this morning that we are going to have the last word. Just kidding. For credibility's sake, for those of you who maybe don't know me, I should probably tell you that I am a wife myself. Uh, Yeah, I am the wife of the man who sat up here last week on his lounge chair throne with his golden toilet plunger scepter that he was pointing at all of you. Yeah. Recently, a friend of mine told me she often wonders what it would be like to live with a Troy. You all have no idea. (laughs) Anyway, a couple of months ago, a friend of ours from the neighborhood asked Troy if we had seen the show This Is Us. Troy's like, no, we haven't seen it. You know, we don't watch a ton of TV, whatever. And he goes, well, my wife and I, we've started watching it, and every time we turn it on, we think of you guys. And we're like, okay. That made us pretty curious, also a little nervous. You know, the first time we turned it on, I think we both were kind of like, so what part do you think of the show made them think of us? But if you haven't seen it, it's this picture of a family who's experiencing the highs and lows of life, wrestling through some of the issues that have plagued them since they were kids, but coming back together again out of love and commitment together over and over again. This is us. I like that. This is us. Of course, there are two sides to this, right? There's Facebook, this is us, which, Barry, if you can throw that first slide up there. Mm Mm-hmm. We look good, don't we? professional photographer on the beach we've been in the sun a couple days we kind of got that glow going for us like nailed it this is us now let's throw that next slide up there because then there's reality this is us this is much more common in our life Um, this picture this is one of those pictures that's taken before the picture you know and so I can kind of envision that Troy and I were probably either yelling at the kids or like bribing them you know If you'll just look at the camera for five seconds, we'll give you 12 cookies after this. Get your hand out of your face. Anyway, but I think that's what's sort of appealing about the show to many people. It's not Facebook, this is us. It's reality, this is us. Like when our son Ephraim's teacher tells us that they chose him to be the innkeeper for the Christmas program because they needed someone with a loud voice to say no room. This is us. When our kids show up to Thanksgiving in their Star Wars Halloween costumes, ready to perform Star Wars 7.5, The Feast Awakens, for our extended family, this is us. Some of you know this one. When my husband checks me in at the dentist and thinks it will be a funny joke to check the box that says, I have a fear of dentists, before I go into my appointment, this is us. When Troy and I pass by our girl's bedroom to find this sign, This is us. Welcome to Weirdo Land. Please, no act. 
Please, Noack. We're working on spelling. Okay. So, reality, this is us, can be funny. Can also be dysfunctional, challenging, and sometimes even heartbreaking. As Mike shared a couple of weeks ago, marriage and family can be just plain hard, especially when we're constantly fighting against these forces in our culture that seem to almost glorify unhealthy marriages and dysfunctional families. So, how do we move toward health, even in our behind-the-scenes reality versions of This Is Us? Is it even possible for us to come to a point in our relationships where we don't have to have these sort of parallel storylines of Facebook and reality? And if it is possible, how do we get there? Well, this morning we're going to dive back into this ancient story of Esther to pull out five practical principles that we can learn from Esther about being wives of wisdom and grace. Now, gentlemen, <clears throat> same rules that applied to your wives last week now apply to you. Okay? So, no elbowing, no giving the look, and no taking notes and then posting them on your wife's steering wheel tomorrow morning. Okay? Let's be civil. Also, if you are here and you are not a wife, please don't check out on me. I think uh, you're going to find that there is a ton of relational wisdom for us all that we can pull out of this book. And finally, before we get into this, as Troy shared last week, this is a descriptive text, which means that it's describing events that happened. So it's not necessarily telling us what to do. There are no commands for us in the book of Esther. But when we look at it in the context of all of Scripture, we can definitely pull out some practical principles um, for us for today. And that's what I hope we're going to be able to do this morning. So would you pray with me, and then we'll dig in. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, that you have preserved this ancient story for us. Lord, that we can open it this morning and hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord, to be in a place where we um, would hear from you, we would be changed by you, we would be inspired to live for you, God. So give us wisdom, give us grace, uh, and thank you so much just for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so grab a Bible and turn to the book of Esther. It's on page 354 of the Bibles under your chairs. Now, as a refresher, or in case you weren't here last week, Esther was a young Jewish uh, girl living in the land of Persia during the reign of King Xerxes. And King Xerxes uh, found himself in need of a new queen, and so he did what any good king would do, and he had a beauty pageant to find one. All right? <laughs> but it was... So Esther, our girl, she ends up swept into this, probably taken to the castle against her will, but ends up being crowned queen of all Persia. And it's in this role that Esther is asked to risk her life for the sake of her people who are in danger of a genocide that was sanctioned by her husband. Talk about a this is us storyline, right? In some ways we might think, you know, I, I don't know if we can really relate to Esther here, you know, in our time and culture. But... I hope that we are going to find this morning that in the midst of this challenging story, this lonely and oppressive marriage, Esther gives us a picture of what it looks like to be wives of wisdom and grace, regardless of the circumstances of our marriages. The first piece of practical advice I think we can learn from Esther is to seek counsel with wisdom. Esther was a teenage Jewish girl heading into a Persian castle where she would become either queen or concubine to a king she had never met. I think it's fair to say that Esther probably didn't know what she was heading into. 
And while hers was a literal cross-cultural marriage, I think most of us who are married can attest to the fact that all marriage is in many ways a cross-cultural experience, right? It involves two people coming together from different pasts, different upbringings. They bring different baggage. And they probably have conflicting methods for folding towels and loading the dishwasher, right? But Esther is a wife of grace and wisdom, so what does she do? She seeks counsel. After her 12 months of beauty treatments, Esther had one night with the king. Just a teensy amount of pressure. This was the night that would determine her fate, either as queen or concubine. So, why don't you read with me? We're going to start in chapter 2 of Esther. We're just going to read the first part of verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. So, on this fateful night, Esther's one night with the king, she sought the counsel of Haggai. Now, I am wildly curious, but I have no idea what that thing was. Okay? And I don't even know if it had any influence on the king's decision. But I do know that the author of this book thought that it was significant enough to mention. And as the story goes, we know that King Xerxes is totally smitten with Esther, and he doesn't delay in crowning her queen of all Persia. Now I'll skip down with me to verse 19 for another example of Esther seeking counsel. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, as she had done when he was bringing her up. Esther was a woman who sought counsel with wisdom. And wives, actually husbands too, we can learn from Esther here. Because like Esther, oftentimes we don't really know what we're doing when it comes to marriage. And those of us who have been married a while know that even when we think that we have something figured out, like something new comes along, right? Like Ryan said, it's sort of this continual learning curve. I remember when our twins were born. Well, sort of. It's a little bit hazy. But they were little. And I remember that Troy, I would get like really, really mad at Troy because he would come home from work and he would start like doing the dishes or folding the laundry. And I was like, ugh. The nerve of this guy, you know? I'm serious. Guy's mad, right? Like, wouldn't you be? No. Uh, I was. The reality was I was getting upset with him. I couldn't figure out why, you know, because I knew that he was coming home. He was trying to serve our family, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is going on here? So I sought the counsel of a wise mentor, and she helped me to realize that after spending the whole day with the babies in this like continual routine, right, of feed, change, play, nap, feed, change, play, nap, oh, spit up, new clothes, you know, whatever. <laughs> after a day of that, when Troy came home, like, I would have paid big money to just stand at the kitchen sink and do the dishes. So the other thing that this um, woman in my life was very graceful in sharing with me, she said, you know, Steph, <clears throat> if you want Troy to do something differently, you're probably going to have to tell him. Probably going to have to ask him to do something differently, right? I know, I was a little slow. My pride might also have been a little bit of a factor, but that's for a different sermon. The point is that we all need an outside perspective on occasion, right? Someone to help us see the forest through the trees. 
Now, as Troy shared last week, we don't want you guys seeking just any counsel, okay? We need to be seeking wise counsel. So find people in your life who will point you to Jesus, people who are for your marriage, uh, not just for you, but for your marriage, people who aren't afraid to tell you when you're living selfishly or being unreasonable. Esther sought the counsel of Haggai and won the favor of the king. She sought the counsel of Mordecai and ended up in a position to save her people from genocide. The story of Esther, I think, also challenges us to be wives who advocate with, for our husbands with determination. Who advocate with determination. Let's pick up the story again in chapter 2, uh, verse 21 this time. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were hanged on a gallows. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. So, Esther is now queen, and her cousin Mordecai, while sitting at the king's gate, uncovers this plot by two of the king's officers to assassinate him. He shares this bit of intel with Esther, and now Esther gets to decide what to do with it. Now, it doesn't seem from the text that there was any hesitation on Esther's part. And maybe there wasn't, but I also think it's possible that Esther might not have been totally against this evil plot. Maybe not for it, but maybe not totally against it either. Remember, a young Jewish girl taken from her home and family to be queen to a prideful, drunken, oppressive, absent, foreign king. A king who was ruling over her people without a great deal of wisdom or compassion. A king who also happened to have his own personal harem. Okay? But in the midst of all this, the text makes it seem like Esther's decision was an easy one. Armed with this information about a plot against her husband, she chooses to advocate for him. She advocates for him with determination. And ladies, let's be honest. We aren't always great about advocating for our husbands, are we? I know, I know, no one's plotting to kill your husbands. But let me ask you this. When another woman starts complaining about her husband, do you join in with her? How about this? When, when was the last time you complimented your husband to someone else? Have you ever told your kids a reason that you love and appreciate their dad? This is a powerful way we can advocate for our husbands, ladies. Simply by speaking words of encouragement, words of appreciation about him to others. Even if he's not there to hear it. Now, let's talk for just a minute about the with determination piece of this point. Here's the deal. Advocating for our husbands is a choice that we have to make even when we don't feel like it. Even when they don't deserve to be advocated for. From what I know about Xerxes, he had not earned Esther's advocacy. Yet in her grace and wisdom as a wife, she determined to give it to him. There will be times in your marriage when you fall out of like with your spouse. Okay? But it is in these times, especially, that we need to determine to love them. I really appreciate how C.S. Lewis put this. He says, Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor, or for our purposes, your spouse. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. 
When you are behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. Advocating for our husbands will encourage them and change us. Okay? Esther was a woman who advocated for her husband with determination, and she ended up unknowingly planting this powerful seed that would end up having Mordecai esteemed by the king. Okay, as our story goes, King Xerxes promotes a man named Haman to be his right-hand man in the kingdom, and Haman quickly begins uh, carrying out this plot to kill off all the Jews who are living in Persia. Okay, so he goes to King Xerxes, and he's like, Xerxes, there's a people. He doesn't mention the name of who the people are, but he's like, there's this people, and they're different from us, and they're disobedient to your laws. We need to wipe them out. So Xerxes, in his infinite wisdom and thoughtful leadership, hands Haman his signet ring, and he says, do with the people as you please. Not realizing, of course, that these people includes his queen. Now when Mordecai hears of this impending genocide of his people, he sends Esther a message, urging her to go into the king's presence and beg for his mercy to plead with him for the sake of their people. So let's read how this interaction plays out. We're going to skip now to chapter 4 and start in verse 9. Hathak, he's this messenger going between Esther and Mordecai, he went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have been brought to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther once again receives her cousin's counsel and then bravely agrees to risk her life for the sake of her people. But before she is willing to approach Xerxes unsummoned, she calls her people to pray and fast with her for three days. Now, if you're Esther, what or whom are you praying for? What do you guys think? What's on Esther's prayer board? Safety? Mm Mm-hmm. The king. Yeah, that's what I thought too. As I was trying to get myself in the shoes of Esther here, these three days of prayer and fasting, I wondered what she was praying for. And I thought, Xerxes, like he had to be on the list, right? I imagine that she prayed for herself, that she would have courage, that she would be safe. I imagine that she prayed for her people. I imagine maybe even that she prayed for Haman. But I think she also most definitely prayed for her husband prayed for his heart, prayed that he would receive her with grace, prayed that he would have wisdom and leadership, that he would have mercy. 
Maybe, maybe not. I'm speculating. Uh, The text doesn't tell us, but we know for sure that Esther committed to this three days of fasting and prayer in this situation. Esther was a woman of prayer. And ladies, we need to be women of prayer too. Wives who pray for our husbands with confidence. I have had the privilege of praying uh, for many marriages with my lady friends over the years, praying for them, their husbands, their marriages, and I've also had the awesome joy and privilege of watching God answer many of those prayers. Not always in the ways that we expect or in the timing that we think is best, but he is faithful. I remember one time praying with a friend of mine who was in a rough patch in her marriage, and literally as we were praying, God was answering our prayers. Not in the way that we expected. Her husband was not, as far as we know, being changed in that moment. But my friend was. God revealed to her, as we were praying, that she was seeking from her husband something that only Jesus could give to her. And in that moment, her heart and her perspective towards her husband and her marriage began to change for the good of their marriage. There is power in prayer. But I know that there may be some of you here today who believe that your marriages are beyond redemption, that your spouse maybe will never change. And if that is your belief, then you are not likely going to be a person of prayer because you have stopped believing that God is bigger than your spouse's habits, their choices, their past. He's bigger than the different ways you've distanced yourselves from one another. But just imagine with me for a minute if Esther had given up hope for her husband. She had come back, to Esther, or come back to Mordecai and just been like, there is no point, Mordecai, in going to the king. There's no point in praying for him. He is a hopeless cause. The story would have ended very differently. Likely there would not be a story to tell. Certainly not a book of the Bible titled Esther. If we are going to be wives of wisdom and grace, we need to be wives who pray with confidence. Okay, let's keep reading. Chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. Pause. Just want to put you in Esther's shoes here. I imagine that she's approaching the king here with a fair amount of fear and trembling, right? But also, I feel like she probably had this fierce determination about her. Maybe a trust in God. And actually, as I was thinking about this and studying this text, I thought to myself, you know what? That is probably how we're supposed to live every day of our lives following Jesus. A little bit of fear, a whole lot of trust. But when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hands. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. Now, I don't know about you, but Esther's approach here seems a bit anticlimactic to me. Okay? There's been all this build-up to this moment in time when Esther puts her life on the line for the sake of her people. Okay? She's got her royal robes on. She's standing in the inner court. The king sees her. We don't know how he's going to respond. Okay? But he holds out his gold scepter, which was not, by the way, in the shape of a toilet plunger. Okay? 
There were no flushing toilets. Just to set the record straight there. He extends his scepter. Esther approaches, touches the scepter. And then the king says, what do you want, Esther? Up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Talk about an inn, right? Like an open door. Kind of like, Esther, just walk right through. Answered prayer, you know? But what does Esther ask for? The mercy of her people? Mercy of her king? Nope. Just it'll come to dinner with her. Okay, you know. Then it gets a little bit stranger because then, you know, King Xerxes and Haman, they come to dinner. And Xerxes asks her again, Esther, what do you want up to half the kingdom? And she invites him to dinner again the following night. Now, if we're watching or reading this for the first time, we're kind of starting to wonder, like, uh, Esther, are you losing sight of our mission? Like, don't forget, don't forget what we're here for. Maybe we think that she's, like, chickening out every time. You know, every time he asks her, she gets cold feet. And then she's like, eh, I don't think so. I don't actually think it was either of those things. I think Esther had learned how to be a wife who communicates with sensitivity. Sensitivity to God's leading, sensitivity to her circumstances, and sensitivity to her husband. I have been a stay-at-home mom for eight years, and during those years, playdates have been like a lifeline for me. Okay, But one of the things about playdates is that you have to learn to converse in the midst of chaos. It's just the way it's got to be. But my husband, now I love that man, but he has not learned this art. Okay, there have been countless evenings when Troy has come home from work and I've got dinner going and the radio's on. There's two kids probably arguing over something in the living room. Another child who's in the kitchen asking us what's for dinner and then probably responding with, Ew, gross. Let me tell them what it is. And then the youngest is in the bathroom calling for help and Troy and I are giving each other the not it look. Anyway. Just a few things going on. But I'm trying to talk to Troy about his day. Tell him about mine. Sometimes he'll just stop me. He'll be like, honey. He gets this like deer in the headlights look to him. I can't do this right now. I'm like, okay. All right. You know, I'm like, don't panic. It's okay. We can talk later. Just relax. This is one of the many ways um, that I've had to learn to communicate with sensitivity over the years. It's a process, for sure. But it's also something that God will help us with if we are in prayer about it. To me, the only explanation for why Esther would have held off on her request to the king not once, but twice, was because she was in tune with God, waiting on his timing, waiting on his prompting, waiting on his wisdom. Wives of wisdom and grace need to learn how to communicate with sensitivity. Esther did, and her people were saved. Esther was also a wife who influenced with grace. And I love this story because we sort of watch Esther grow into the wife, into the woman that we all know on this side of the story God created her to be. Okay? But remember when Mordecai initially went to Esther, asking her to go to the king? How did she respond? You guys remember? She like, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play? Nope. She's like, let me think. No. There's this law. The king hasn't even called or like texted me in 30 days. I don't really know where I stand with him. She's insecure, right? She's unsure of who she is or if she has any influence over this situation. But she respects and trusts Mordecai. So when he tells her, perhaps you've been brought to your royal position for such a time as this, 
Esther, in faith, chooses to engage, to use whatever tiny amount of influence she thinks she has with the king for the sake of her people. And as the story concludes, we find that she had more influence than she ever could have imagined. Her people ended up saved from genocide. Mordecai gets promoted to be the king's right-hand man, and a Jewish festival was born that is still celebrated today. Mordecai's prophecy came true. It seems she most certainly was brought to the castle for such a time as this. And wives, ladies, I want to encourage you this morning that God has you right where you are, in your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, your church, for such a time as this, to use your influence for good. You have influence, ladies. Sometimes I think we doubt this. Or like Esther, we struggle with insecurity and wonder if we have any influence over the people or circumstances in our lives. But I can tell you with certainty that God has created you uniquely to be the wife to your husband. He created you uniquely to be the mother to your children. He created you uniquely to be the friend of your neighbor and coworker. He has you right where you are for such a time as this, to use your influence for good. Now, one caveat critical component to this bit of wisdom. Esther was a wife who influenced with grace. She respected her husband. In every instance, whether it was in his throne room or reclining around the dinner table, she was humble, wise, graceful, and kind. And I would speculate that the respect that she showed to King Xerxes probably played a huge factor in her ability to influence him. Many of you know that our children's pastor, Kim, and her husband, Jay, adopted two kids from the Congo a few years ago when their four biological kids were just getting to the ages of self-sufficiency. What you may not know is that Jay and Kim did not come to the conclusion that God was calling them to adopt at the same time. Okay? Kim was on the gas. Jay was pumping the brakes a little bit. Okay? And if you know Jay, you know that he is an amazing leader in his home, in his workplace, in our church. But there was some hesitancy on his part as it related to adoption. And I know that it was because he was trying to lead his family well. But during that time, I saw Kim influence her husband with grace. She didn't push her agenda on him. She was patient with him. She listened to him. She prayed for him. She prayed for herself that if this wasn't what God wanted for their family, that he would change her heart. Together they searched the scriptures for what Jesus had to say about all this. And when Kim found herself trying to influence with sarcasm or something else that wasn't grace, she was quick to repent and ask Jay for forgiveness. Kim influenced with grace, not for her own sake, to sort of get what she wanted, but for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of her family. When the timing was right, God moved in Jay's heart through a trip to the Congo. And if you see Jay today with these two amazing kids, you'll know that he is super thankful for his wife's graceful influence on their family. So Queen Esther, I hope, has used her influence today, 2,500 years after she lived, to challenge us to be wives of wisdom and grace, who seek counsel with wisdom, advocate with determination, pray with confidence, communicate with sensitivity, and influence with grace. Now, I do believe that these are five very powerful principles for a healthy marriage, but on their own, they are nothing more than a self-help book that's going to collect dust on your nightstand. I cannot sit up here and tell you that if you do these things, you will have a happy and healthy marriage. In fact, you may experience the very opposite. 
You may seek to put these principles in place and think that you're making progress only to find that you're going farther apart instead of closer together. So, what then? Well, there is another story of a king and his bride that I'd like to share with you this morning. It's a story of a bride who was blemished, an orphan girl who was unworthy of being brought into the king's castle because of her sin and brokenness. But the king invited her in anyway. He didn't take her into his castle, but he did invite her into a loving relationship with himself. This king, instead of demanding that his wife go through 12 months of beauty treatments before meeting him, welcomed her just as she was, flawed, but also beautiful in his sight. He promised not to be concerned with her outward appearance, but instead to look at her heart. This was a king who would never leave his bride unsummoned for 30 days, but promised to be with her always. And should his bride ever need to approach her king while he was ruling on his throne, she could do so with confidence. This king did not threaten to use his power to kill off a people who were different from him, but instead gave up his life to save a people who had actually rebelled against him, a people he likes to refer to as his bride. This is the story, of course, of our Jesus. Jesus, who is both our perfect king and our all-sufficient husband. So, when you are feeling unloved by your spouse, remember that the love of Christ was actually lavished upon you on the cross. When you are feeling lonely and disconnected from your spouse, remember that Christ went through hell itself to be near you. When you are feeling like your marriage is beyond repair, Remember that Christ said that nothing is impossible with God, and then he proved it to be true by rising from the dead. When you are feeling like your spouse doesn't deserve to be served, remember that Christ served you when you were at your worst. And when your spouse fails you, remember that Christ never has and never will. This is us, Kettlebrook family, the bride of Christ, loved, purchased, redeemed, rescued by our perfect king and our all-sufficient husband. This is us. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that when we were outside your castle, you brought us in. Lord, thank you that by the blood of Christ, we can come into your throne room with confidence. We can be assured that you are with us always, Lord, and we can be the um, recipients of your amazing grace and your amazing love, Lord. And you tell us that we can only love because we have been first loved by you. And so I pray that you would help us to just rest in your love, to receive it, God, to let it sink deep into our hearts, Lord, so that we are able to love others well. Give us wisdom in that. Give us grace. Give us courage to love even when it's hard, God. Help us to remember that we are your family bride of Christ, 